All right, Ben, Mike, we've been, the Vikings have been on the grass at OTAs, wrapping up their second week this week of OTAs, halfway through the offseason program. So we will discuss uh, what we heard from coordinators this week. We'll open up the Twitter bag and answer, Twitter mailbag, not Twitter bag. Twitter bag. And answer I kind of like Twitter bag, actually. Yeah, Twitter bag <laughs> answers some questions from listeners. I want to talk about what expectations should be for the 2022 Vikings and whether or not what the Wilfs want is realistic or not. Now that we see this roster put together, uh, maybe dabbling some rule changes, batting around some ideas that we might have. Um, interesting stuff that we heard this week from Wes Phillips, the offensive coordinator, uh, the special teams coordinator, Matt Daniels basically said, yeah, it's a full on kicking competition between the rookie they signed a couple weeks after the draft and the incumbent Greg Joseph. We saw them switch off field goal tries in OTAs, which would lend us to believe that it actually is going to be a kicking competition as well as a punting competition with incumbent Jordan Berry. So that never ends. Some things change, some things stay the same with the Minnesota Vikings. Um, but Are they going to go for two in preseason games? <laughs> I think that might change. I think that. Going to let them know. We're going to go for two. That might be my favorite moment of the Mike Zimmer era, just sending I, – I tried to give him the out when I asked the question too. I like, I, I figured, cause if I asked him, are you trying to put the kicker on watch? I figured he would have just gone with the, no, you guys don't know what you're talking about. So I tried to give him the out of, were you just trying to work on your two point place? No, I'm, I'm putting the <laughs> kicker on watch. Uh, but I want to, I want to start with the broad strokes oh, question of what should the expectations be for this season we've got the roster not the 53 man obviously but you know maybe the 45 man depending on uh, guaranteed money we pretty much know who's going to be in a lot of these starting spots we've got the schedule and we've got what the rest of the league looks like we do know mark wilf ziggy wilf they think this team should contribute or contend right away uh, and contribute toward a super bowl run is that realistic Ben, what do you think that's realistic considering what we're looking at right now with this Vikings roster and team? I think the man that holds the answer to that question is currently looking at his flashcards. <laughs> uh, Kirk. Yeah, I, I think you have to, <clears throat> if you're going to contend, it is incumbent on the idea that they have helped him improve to the point where you can. I, I just don't think there's a way to do it otherwise. I mean, defensively, I, I think they'll be, I don't, it's hard to, hard to sit here and say they're going to be better. I mean, I, I think there's a chance of that, certainly with more pass rush if, if, if Daniel Hunter and Zedaria Smith are healthy. Um, but, I, you know, do you feel good about the secondary as it exists? I don't know. I mean, can you sit here and say that it's going to be a group that can carry this team? I, I don't think you can say that in May. Um so I think it probably comes down to being able to score effectively um, and especially having to do it in the playoffs. So it would take Cousins turning into Matthew Stafford with the Rams and maybe a little bit more because his defense won't be as good as what the Rams have had. So I, I think unless he is that, type of quarterback in this system it's hard to sit here and say contenders I, you know a playoff team I think that's certainly reasonable but um and the NFC is open but do you sit here and say they're a team that can make a deep run I I think it's a little hard to say that definitively at this point 
Yeah, Mike, what do you think? You know, just looking at this team, it's just kind of interesting. It feels like there's kind of a lot of pressure on Kevin O'Connell this year. And, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of expectations for a first year coach, no matter what, but if you just kind of look at it, it's, it's like they, they made some tweaks in the, to the roster, but not, you know, not these kind of wholesale changes that you would sometimes associate with, you know, a, a new regime and things like that. It's a, a lot of their offseason moves were kind of re, remake yourself a little bit on the fly, but hope that new systems and new approaches and new culture yields different results. And when you do that, it kind of feels like that kind of puts the onus then on you know, the players to a certain degree, but the coaches to get more out of what they have. So I think that, I think they're certainly a, I think they're worthy of being in the playoff conversation, but there's just so many unknowns. And as you think about this roster, you know, they got to have a lot of things go right. They got to sort out what their identity is. They got to figure out, you know, can you, is winning on the margins, you know, kind of changing a few things here and there, is that enough? Um, and is going nine and eight or 10 and seven and being the number six or seven seed, is that enough to feel good about your direction? So it kind of feels like a, a little bit of a treading water kind of year, which we've had a lot of, but the, the ingredient that could change it is, you know, if, if this, if this coaching staff is really that much of a difference maker, then you could imagine this, you know, in conjunction with Kirk cousins who they will, you know, coach in a different way. I would imagine that that could elevate them, but it's a lot of if, if, if like it has been for the last few years. And we talked on the last podcast, um, access Vikings podcast about how this defense is really holds a lot of the keys and that Kevin O'Connell, it's not obviously his baby. And this defense is the one that blew all of those leads last year even though the offense was leading the NFL uh, and some of the best metrics you want in terms of explosive plays on the, in the passing game and the running game, um, they went three and out a lot, which was an issue. And so maybe they can sustain some drives this year in ways they couldn't. Um, but I, I do think that a big part is whether or not, as Ben mentioned, the edge rushers, this defense, the secondary, um, that is where most of the overhaul was done. And as much as the they're overhauling the playbook, which Kirk Cousins is, studying his flashcards. He says, it feels like sometimes feels like an eighth grader going home. He says to read those flashcards, but it's a way to help him memorize a lot of the different plays and, and uh, concepts that they're changing with this offense as they bring over a Rams like system. And with that, it is overhauling that part of it, but defensively all the personnel going from a four, three to a three, four, you talk to players, it's not the easiest change to make. And even if you are somebody like Daniel Hunter or Eric Kendricks or Harrison Smith, somebody who's been in this system and, and with this, this team and this personnel for so long, um, you're changing the way you're playing a lot, where your eyes have to be, where your feet and hands have to be, the techniques, all those things. Um, those are big changes. And so I think the defense is by far the biggest question to, to answer whether or not they can be real contenders. Because we saw this offense be pretty dynamic in the past years and still not go anywhere. Um, and Kirk Cousins has been able to win them some close games at the end, and they're still not able to go anywhere. Um, I don't think anybody, and Ben, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think anybody can sit here and expect Kirk in his, what, 11th year to all of a sudden turn some corner and be this super consistent game winner at the end. You know, somebody that defenses fear is going to just uh, take the game away from them, a la Mahomes, Brady, you know, the greats. He's, I think Kwesi Dofomenso was quoted recently as saying, um, special quarterback plays really important, uh, to, to win, but there are other ways to do it. I mean, the team is telling you that they don't view him 
as that guy because yeah, the league is a pretty telling comment. The league views him as not that guy. We see it every year with Mike Sando's quarterback tiers. Like we just know how the league views him. And I don't think year 11 is with another new head coach, another new play caller. This is his seventh different play caller in as many years going back to Sean McVay in Washington. Um, and even Sean McVay in Washington couldn't get that much more out of him. So to me, it's got to be the team around him. It's got to be that defense. And I am really curious to see how that all comes together. I believe ESPN football's power index or whatever they call it, the fancy word for power rankings. They had the Vikings at 13th in the NFL. Ben, is that too high, too low, or, or just right? Uh, I think that's probably on the high side of just right. Um, I mean, that feels a little high to me, but not like egregiously. So I, I think, I mean, you said something in there about the production in terms of explosive plays and everything on offense. I, when you pray, when you phrase it that way, on a just 30,000 foot level, it makes sense that why they did what they did. If they said our offense is still in good shape, we just need somebody who's going to accentuate that. And we need to change the defense. Then it, it makes sense why Mike Zimmer wouldn't have a job anymore, but you know, the, the thing that you mentioned with Cousins, too, he did have quite a few games last year where they did put it on him in the end, whether it was Cincinnati, the game tying drive, put him in position to win in Arizona. Um, Detroit, I think, at least once, probably twice. That Well, I mean, they blew leads in both of those games and got bailed out. Well, he bailed them out once, and then uh, Jared Goff summoned Joe Montana in Super Bowl twenty three in the second one. <laughs> but uh, Cameron Dantzler summoned Cameron Dantzler in 2020 yeah. uh, on the goal line. But yeah, I, I think they probably did have enough games last year where if their defense makes a stop, they're in the playoffs. And, you know, then you go down the rabbit hole of does Mike Zimmer still have a job and all of this. But um, yeah, I, I, I guess I think that's probably 13th is, you know, I, it's, you're not going to get laughed out of the room saying that. Um, I, I probably wouldn't put them quite that high, but yeah, I, I think you can make an argument for that. Cause that Mike, that puts them right at that where they've consistently been, which is in just basically the wild card hunt in the hunt, yeah, in the hunt <laughs> in the, in the hunt graphic. Yeah. Thir- <laughs> I mean, 13 implies like just barely in the playoffs, right? Cause if you have seven teams in each conference, if you give each one of them, you know, if you split it evenly, then that would be right. You know, right at the seven seed essentially. And that feels Roughly about right. And the NFC, like Ben said at the beginning, is kind of wide open this year. I don't know how you kind of pick a certain favorite right away, even. I mean, I think there's a lot of teams that'll be pretty good again. I think Green Bay, obviously, with Aaron Rodgers back, but they've got receiver questions. They've got other questions that they've got to address and answer as as time goes along. Certainly, they're still the division favorites. Anytime, as long as Rodgers is there, they're the division favorite. But, you know, as you think about that, 13, I think Ben's right. It's like a little on the little on the high side of about, right? I, I maybe think of them more as like 15 or 16, but that's kind of splitting hairs at that point. It's, it's, it kind of goes to show just how you know, fragile is the wrong word, but just, you know, how, how this season probably like the last few, unless we're totally wrong and that they're just, you know, going to be a lot better or conversely a lot worse that it's going to come down to those kind of six or eight games that are decided in the final three or four minutes. And they've more often than not come out on the wrong end of those in the last two years, probably because more of the defense than the offense. So if, if those go their way, it might even just be, you know, a matter of the breaks more than anything that O'Connell is doing 
right, or it could be, you know, some factors that that are are within their control, but they're they're right in that kind of squishy area still, which is, you know, I guess that's a fine place to be for 2022, but I don't think that's where they want to be long term. Now that we have the schedule, what are some games, and maybe it's just the opener against Green Bay, what are some of the games that they would have to win to show that this is you know, different that, that it is a contending team. Cause you, they obviously open at green Bay. They play the saints in London in week four. Um, and then at some point they play the bills. I think it's in November. They play the Patriots Thanksgiving night. Um, ben, is there a game that sticks out to you that if, if they're able to win that one, then it feels like this is a little bit different than the Mike Zimmer era. I mean, the Eagles on Monday night, week two, um, I think that's a, a tough trip given, uh, that venue and given the time of day they're playing there, I mean, um, you know, it'd probably be a, a tough trip for, for us to make sure that we know where we're parked and how we get out of there. <laughs> the hour we'll be leaving. Um, yeah, I, I, that one, I think if you win that you're, you're probably saying, okay, this feels pretty good. I mean, the saints, it's hard to know what they're going to be. Um, you know, going to London makes it a little different story, but I, I think the stretch, that is going to define it a lot is uh, right out of the bye. You got the Cardinals at home. Then you go to Washington, which is, a, I think, a tougher game than – I mean, that, that team has been competitive in the last couple of years. It, You know, is FedEx field going to be full? I don't know. Um, but I, I think that's a, a tougher matchup. And then it's Bills on the road, Cowboys at home, Patriots at home Thanksgiving night. So – I mean, that, that five-game stretch to me looks like the toughest part of it. And if you can come out of that with uh, – if you win three of them, with three of them at home, um, that'd, be, that'd be nice. I mean, the Bills on paper are the toughest opponent in that stretch, but there's enough of those games that, especially with the quarterbacks they'll play and or the defenses they'll face, that if you're not on top of your stuff, you, you could see your season kind of slip away right there. Yeah, they're going to Buffalo, to Washington, and then to Buffalo, right? Back Correct. To back. Back-to-back weeks. Yeah, so that, that could be somewhat difficult, although Carson Wentz, I don't know, I just, I can't envision. Yeah. I can't envision him doing a whole lot uh, for Washington after uh, what we've seen his career kind of devolve into. But, Mike, what do you think? Yeah, it feels like, I think Ben's right, that stretch coming out of the bye, and I feel like if they don't go at least four and two going into the bye, they're going to have some regrets just because – you start at home against Green Bay. That's a tough game. You got the the Monday nighter against Philadelphia. If, if you come out of that one and one, you probably feel okay with that. And then it's, it's not terribly difficult. I feel like going from there to the bye. I think you're gonna if you get to the bye at three and three or you know worse than that, you're gonna be staring at that five game stretch where you got a lot of pressure on you, and it gets a little softer there. But then you finish at Green Bay and at Chicago. I can't remember if the if the order is correct there, but those are places. Yeah, it's been. always Chicago in the last week of the season. So yes. usually it's right. usually it's here though. I mean, that's going to be right. those are going to be two games, you know, in the elements, so to speak, because those are you know late December, early January, where whenever they are. So, you know, you got kind of bank some wins this year. I feel like if you're going to feel good about yourself, so you know, I'm I'm kind of looking at that kind of first six game burst. You probably have a certain amount of you know energy from the new head coach, things like that. If you go at least four and two, I think you're going to feel good about yourself. If you're sitting there at three and three, I mean, the season's not over, but you're going to have a lot of work to do if you're three and three or worse at the bye. All right, let's talk about this offense. We heard from Wes Phillips, the new offensive coordinator, 
um, this week. We heard from all the coordinators, but I thought Wes Phillips was the most interesting and uh, explanatory, at least about what they're doing and how different they're doing it. We did hear Kirk Cousins mention that uh, for basically the third time maybe in his career, he feels like he's starting from scratch and learning an offense. There is some overlap with what he's done in the past in terms of having worked with Kevin O'Connell, uh, having Sean McVay be his play caller for two years in Washington. Um, but he had mentioned that these offenses have evolved so much over time that when he watched the Rams, it's, you know, you can see some things that he has, he's familiar with, but um, generally not a whole lot, certainly not the whole playbook. So as Kirk Cousins says, he starts from scratch, uses those flashcards to learn this offense, to help him learn some of the concepts, verbiage, uh, that they're changing things to Wes Phillips was talking about how um, this could be a little bit, he didn't use this phrase, but just me reading between the lines about how this can be a little bit more of a quarterback friendly scheme uh, as they try to kind of uh, dictate their terms against a defense on any given play or any given passing play. Um, one of the ways he talked about that was saying that this offense is going to put a lot or more on the plates of the wide receivers in terms of knowledge and what they need to know ahead of time and how their, some of their responsibilities are going to be unspoken in the huddle. I believe Wes Phillips said, quote, so we don't have the longest play calls known to man. Um, they're going to be calling multiple plays often in the huddle. Uh, and so Kirk Cousins doesn't have to read off the wide receivers responsibilities all the time in the huddle. Some of these things are going to be code words and, and, things that these wide receivers are going to have to know that when a play is actually settled on at the line of scrimmage between the multiple plays called in the huddle, those wide receivers are going to have to pick up based on what they see in the defense and what they hear from Kirk at the line, exactly how they need to adjust things, whether, whether it's their splits or how their routes need to be adjusted and all those things. Um, that to me stood out a lot from, and I'm not saying the Kubiak offense was, kind of stuck in stone ages, but it is different from a standard offense and one that we've certainly seen in the past from, from Mike Zimmer's teams. Um, and I found that really interesting. Um, I'll quote Wes Phillips here. He says, just to limit the verbiage, the nature of the verbiage in this offense were, were a lot of times calling more than one play in the huddle. So if you're just calling plays and running them against any look that a defense may present or the quarterback has to know certain audibles, he would have to learn a lot of things without saying multiple plays in the huddle. It can be a lot more difficult there for the quarterback. So when you're calling multiple plays, we're trying to limit that verbiage as much as possible. Um, so basically they're as, as Kevin O'Connell has been quoted as saying, it's the illusion of complexity, right? They're trying to show off and, and bring that flexibility to the line of scrimmage without having to put so much on the quarterback of having to call the entire playbook at the line of scrimmage. So it's not quite Peyton Manning. It's not quite sitting up there and basically having to call everything as he sees it. Um, but Ben, what did you think, if you heard that or read that, what did you think about just that illusion of complexity, I guess, with this offense? Yeah, I, I think it's, I think it makes sense. I mean, it, it's the way you see a lot of teams operating and I think it allows them to have more control, more flexibility than they've had in the past. I don't think the previous coaching staff necessarily wanted to give Kirk Cousins that. I mean, that was a question I think we asked in very, of various play callers because there were various play callers to ask about Kirk Cousins because he had a different one every year. Um, but you never got the sense that he had as much control at the line as perhaps he wanted or at least as much flexibility. 
if they're calling multiple plays and then you can make adjustments based on what you see. I mean, you know, you hear quarterbacks. I mean, Aaron Rodgers talks about these things all the time about site adjustments or check with knees or, you know, some of these things that, that give the quarterback and the receiver some room to improvise within the play. Um, I, I think the more of that they can give their group, the more effective it could make them because everybody, everybody is going to be looking at how do we stop number 18? I mean, that's going to be the entire game plan for a lot of defenses is we got to take 18 away and then we'll go from there. I mean, that that's been the way people have played the Packers for a long time with Devonte Adams. You have to find ways to still get your guy, the ball and the Packers certainly did over the years. I'm sure the Rams ran into this with Cooper cup as well, where everybody was saying, we got to take Cooper cup out of the game. You have to find ways to improvise beyond your playbook or at least build flexibility into your calls, into your play menu. Uh, I think we heard that term this week, too, from Wes Phillips um, to to do that. So I I think it makes a lot of sense, especially given the fact that you have, I think, receivers in Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, K.J. Osborne, who – strike me as guys that understand the position well enough. I mean, Justin Jefferson's a third year guy, but had an older brother that played quarterback at LSU has been studying things at a higher level than he's been playing at for a lot of his upbringing. So you have a guy there that I think has more institutional knowledge of the game than you would expect from somebody his age. And certainly in Adam Thielen, you have a guy that has been around for, for 10 years. So I think being able to do those things and unlock some of what those guys see on the field makes a lot of sense. And I'll be curious to see how much it, it changes things up because you've always had this sense that it was, well, we don't really want to give that much of it away. Was it because they didn't trust cousins or because they just didn't like the idea of not having as much control on the coaching staff as you've traditionally had? I, I think that's, that's always been an interesting kind of tug of war with cousins and Zimmer vis-a-vis, uh, whoever he was hiring or firing to call plays at the moment. Um, and it'll be curious to see how this goes. You know, I a couple things strike me there. I mean, O'Connell obviously knows Cousins already. You know, he worked with him in Washington. He's just still familiar with him. So he knows what he can and can't do. So I'll be interested to see kind of to, to, to Ben's point, to what extent they give him some of that autonomy or kind of that that flexibility within <clears throat> playing the position. And, you know, Listen, uh, one of the more famous plays from the playoffs last year, right, was um, Mahomes and Kelsey kind of drawing up that that play kind of on the on the fly, right? I mean, can you? I still I, I can't imagine Kirk Cousins doing something like that. Can you? I mean, it's it's it still seems like there's a certain framework of limitations that he's going to operate within, no matter how much autonomy they want to say they're giving them. A little more classical music, a little less jazz. I think that's probably always going to be part of it with him. We've referenced before the the baker versus the chef, right? You, you give yes. them yeah. a, a lot of good ingredients, they'll make you a good cake. But if you tell them, you know, paint outside the numbers a little bit, it might be a little different. Um, speaking of Justin Jefferson, Wes Phillips also mentioned him. He's asked about the differences between Jefferson and Cooper Cup in terms of um, not just differences, but parallels as well. And Wes Phillips had a little, I thought it was interesting because he talked about they're both very instinctive in terms of finding the open spaces, working option routes, getting open underneath. Um, but he said, maybe you didn't see Cooper cup catching 60 yard bombs. They're different as far as the types of balls that maybe are activated. Um, you're seeing Cooper cup a lot more underneath 
The thing that's exciting that is very similar to Cooper is that they can play all the spots. So you have the ability to take them and move them where you want them and where you think they can get a good matchup. So basically saying he's Cooper cup, but he can also catch the 60 yard bombs and be more of that deep threat. So I'll be very interested to see how they use him in this offense. Is he going to be more of that bona fide deep threat? Cause Ben, when we look at this wide receiver group, Adam Thielen's a year older. I know KJ Osborne has a lot of speed. So does Amir Smith Marset, but I don't think Thielen's that guy that we saw five years ago with Diggs, where he was just as much of a deep threat, maybe yeah. as his opposing star. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch because there is some of Thielen's game that fits in the cup role in the sense that he's in the slot. He's a good blocker. I mean, that we hear about that with cup all the time in terms of how important he was to their run game because you put him in these tight splits and he can be part of your run blocking and, you know, whether it's cracking back on a, a defender or setting up something that, that runs wide, whatever it happens to be. Um, he was a big part of what they wanted to do. And I, I think Thielen has been willing to do that. I think he's been fairly good at it over the years. So do you put Thielen in, in some of that role? I mean, Jefferson's probably still the X, I would think for the most part, they'll move people around, but yeah, I, I think there's going to be some of the role that it naturally translates to Jefferson. There's going to be some of it that naturally translates to Thielen. So um, I think the target numbers, if we're comparing it that way, probably are going to be similar for Jefferson that they were for cup in LA last year, but how that all comes to him will be, I think maybe where the, oh, there's a little bit of an adjustment. Yeah, Mike, we, I, I do pause on, cause there's some questions that came early from reporters or even fans about how, Oh, can Justin Jefferson be like Cooper cup? Well, he, he was already kind of better than him. He had 3000 yards in his first two years. He's got more yards than anybody in the sport over the last two years. And so I think, I think we've already seen that in Minnesota. It's just a matter of how they might use them maybe differently. Yeah, I think that I think the excitement that you could have if you're a Vikings fan is, you know, if Jefferson was doing that and in, in, you know, more of a traditional offense, not to say that, you know, the, the 2020-2021 offenses were, you know, playing, they certainly had their own wrinkles. But if you're bringing in now a dynamic offensive-minded head coach coming from a system that was able to, you know, probably fully or close to fully unlock whatever potential Cooper cup had. Can they get another gear then out of, out of Justin Jefferson? Can he be, you know, not just this, you know, 1500 yard receiver, which is very good. Uh, but can he be, you know, this dominant have to account for him on every single snap kind of game changer game breaker that, you know, opposing teams just have to absolutely worry about, um, you know, down distance doesn't matter. He could be a threat to go, you know, to, to, to hurt you on any, on any single play. So that's probably where the, you know, where they really can, you know, push him to another level, but yeah, you're right. He's, I mean, he's obviously already a very good receiver. You know, he was numbers kind of parallel. The track he's on is kind of like a Randy Moss track, which is, you know, different era, but that's a, that's kind of the track he's on right now with his production. All right, guys, let's talk quick before we get to the Twitter bag mailbag questions. Let's get to uh, one comment that special teams coordinator Matt Daniels made about Greg Joseph. The Vikings go ahead and they, they keep Greg Joseph as a restricted free agent. He is slated to get about 2.4, I believe, million, uh, but it's not guaranteed. So the Vikings can make that change if they see Gabe Burchich, I believe is his name, if I'm pronouncing that right, 
uh, or Burkitch. I think it might be Burkitch. Uh, the kicker out of Oklahoma that they signed, the undrafted rookie to compete with him this summer. Uh, Greg Joseph, we thought, I thought, did pretty well uh, last year. But Matt Daniel says this is an open competition to push our veterans at both kicker and punter. And then when asked specifically this week about um, the mental side of things with kickers, how he approaches it, he had this comment and saying, mental toughness, that's something I've had a conversation with Greg about working on, building up his mental toughness, going through his process, asking him, does your process change when you're kicking a 30-yard field goal versus a 50-yard field goal, the short distance versus longer distance? We try to keep all the same regardless. So clearly he feels like, not maybe I'm reading too much into it, but he feels like that can be improved with Greg Joseph. And Greg Joseph ended up making a lot of clutch kicks at the end of the season. He obviously missed um, the big one in Arizona, but he made one to beat the Lions. He made one to beat the Packers. I uh, might be missing one or two more in there. Made one to get to overtime against uh, the Bengals too. Yeah, he did that as well right out of the gate last season. Um, so that kind of caught me by surprise a little bit. I mean, Mike, what did you think? Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. I think maybe maybe it's less about his clutch kicking as it is about, didn't he miss just kind of some casual, more casual kicks last year that, you know, just kind of drifted on him or he had the, the weird one that was like almost 50, but less than 50 against Detroit that came up yeah. short, uh, which, you know, yeah, he's got the first game, the first game that kind of got Detroit on that path to rallying. And even though he ended up making the, the winner in the end to, to bail them out, maybe that's more about, Hey, you gotta be, you gotta be locked in on extra points and 35 yarders just as much as you are on these long distance ones, because those, they all count the same. Ben, is there going to be another new kicker in the Minnesota Vikings? I mean, what did you think just about Greg Joseph last year and the fact that they are putting him in a competition this year? I guess I'm a little surprised they're doing it because, I, yeah, I'm with you. I thought overall he was fairly effective last year. I, I thought he was probably their most consistent kicker in a few years. I mean, you could argue that he's maybe been their most consistent since Kai Forbath. I mean, Dan Bailey had – had his moments, but the extra points were always an issue with Dan Bailey and, and they have been with Joseph at times as well, but overall it, he performed well enough that I was a little surprised that they said, we're going to go kind of open up a competition here. It would not strike me. And unless that's just kind of as a, as a force of habit, how you want to do it on a regular basis, then maybe that's the thing. And maybe that'll be the case. We could see this every year. We're going to bring in somebody. We're going to, just make sure that the kicker isn't completely settled because it's always a job that can change pretty quickly on you anyway. I mean, maybe that's the approach. I, we don't have anything more than this one camp to go on to, to say that, but yeah, it does surprise me a little bit because I thought I looked at his performance last year as being effective enough that you could go into the season with him as the guy and you'd say, okay, yeah, I see why they did that. I, it struck me as a little bit more surprising that they would, try to open this up than it would have if they had just said, yeah, we're good. We think he's the guy. And I guess maybe one way to test your kicker's mental toughness in the summer is by not handing him the job, right? I guess just bringing yeah. any, anybody in. Um, yeah. Cause that's the reality of the position is that you don't make enough money and what you do is under so much scrutiny, both internally and externally. And if you don't think that players in that locker room, look at kickers like a necessary evil, uh, you have not spent much time talking to NFL players because there is certainly that feeling. I mean, you'll hear guys say, oh, he's our guy. We've got his back. But if it goes bad, it's like, man, this guy has one job. 
He doesn't get hit. I mean, there is that sentiment among players. So um, given that and the fact that your job is always somewhat unsettled, it, it may make some sense to say, um, we're going to, we're going to train you for that. We're going to have you get used to living in that type of a setting. Now, I suppose that can backfire because we have seen over the years, I think, uh, a kicker or two that has not lived in the most settled environment or with the most settled response to his mistakes. And that has affected those kickers. I, I mean, Daniel Carlson is certainly the name that comes to mind the quickest. We were talking before the well, I guess we talked at the beginning of the podcast about um, the go for two in the preseason to let him know a uh, move that Mike Zimmer made in 2018. That affected him. I, I think I have talked to enough people about that over the years that the approach Zimmer had with Carlson did get in his head. And you've looked at him since then. He's been one of the more consistent kickers in the NFL since he went to the Raiders. And there, it, it's probably going to be different with every kicker. Everybody's going to respond a little bit differently to, to being tweaked, to use a Zimmer phrase, uh, or not. But, uh, yeah, it, it's it, that is part of the nature of the job. Is you're never sitting there saying, oh, okay, if I screw up, I'm good. My contract is such that I'm going to be here for five years either way. So maybe there's something to it to try to make a guy unsettled because he's always going to have to live that way. All right, let's open the Twitter bag to answer some questions from listeners thank you for sending those on twitter you can find all of our twitter handles either at twitter.com or Maybe like a twitter bag sounder star tribune.com i was thinking if we were going to have a new sounder because we haven't had one to end the podcast since mike zimmer left us um it would be if i could get sound of it harrison smith saying cam cover your bleeping guy <laughs> <laughs> we have the lip reading but i don't know if we have the audio i don't think we do and we certainly don't have the rights to that audio Maybe we could get him to say it. <laughs> you know, kind of like the, the radio spots for, hey, can you just say, I'm so-and-so, you're listening to such-and-such such station? Do or you think we, we could, get him to do it? Or, no, I think what we could try to do <laughs> is get him individually to say those words and then pair them together, just kind of in a horrible audio. Yeah. Editing. Cam, cover your bleeping guy. <laughs> we couldn't quit. We'd have to say bleeping because this is a family uh, show. That was Seattle, too, wasn't it? Great it was, yes, it was the end of the Russell Wilson drive after they went for it with Alexander Madison to get stuffed. Ah, that's right. That's right. Also 2018 active year, active year. Wasn't that? That was not 18. That was 20. Oh, I thought that was 18 was when they almost got shut out in Seattle and we all, we were going to run the, the headline scoreless in Seattle and uh, they fired DeFilippo when the plane landed or maybe before, maybe they just gave him a parachute and said, good luck. I should have known that because, of course, Cam Dancer was not here um, in 2018. So, yeah, there were a lot of trips to Seattle that ended with strange things. So it's easy to understandable that they could be. Stuck. <laughs> All right. Let's let's get this question from Jay Thomas wants to know you get to pick one free agent that this team can sign whose name isn't J.C. Treader. Who are you signing? And Ben, I did some brief research on who was out and still available. Um, before we started the podcast and these four names at least popped into my head and feel free to throw out any others. Um, Odell Beckham Jr. or Will Fuller at wide receiver. He's somewhat interesting. I think OBJ obviously coming off the ACL injury, so he wouldn't be available right away, but somebody that maybe the former Rams assistant can steal away from Sean McVay. Um, and he's buddies with Jefferson, the LSU thing. 
Yeah, that too. That too. And Will Fuller, obviously the deep threat, uh, who former Texan was with the Dolphins, I believe has served one or two or multiple suspensions, but somebody who could provide quite a bit downfield for this offense. He's healthy. If he's healthy. That guy, that's always the question with him. And then two defensive linemen that are still out there. They could re-sign Sheldon Richardson, which I think would be an interesting depth addition and another June addition like they did last year with him. Um, Because I think he still showed last year that he had plenty in the tank. Or Viking killer Akeem Hicks. The longer Akeem Hicks is available, the cheaper he's got to cost, right? Yeah, that's true. So... What about him? Very familiar with the Fangio Donatel defense, somebody in a three, four that could jump right in. Uh, why not Akeem Hicks, even though we're talking about guys who are 30 plus years old, certainly. Yeah, I think that would be, I think there'd certainly be some value in that. I mean, he's certainly been a Viking killer and that you see a lot of times where this guy beat us. So we got to sign him. So he doesn't beat us anymore. Well, it's not really how that works. You've certainly seen that people take that approach over the years. I, I, I think there's enough there that he would help you, especially if you're looking for more sources of pass rush other than Zedaria Smith and Daniel Hunter. I, I think being able to get some interior push would be really, really helpful. And I think he makes some sense along those lines. I'm just kind of looking through the rest of it. Um, I mean, you know, there, there's still guys out there that have been, still effective playmakers. I mean, a guy like Larry Ogunjobi from um, Cincinnati, I think could have some value possibly. I mean, you're still looking at a lot of these veterans that are, are um, trying to find a job, a lot of guys on the wrong side of 30. So, you know, Eddie Goldman maybe from the bears would be another guy to, to think about, although they don't really need a run stuffer at this point either. Um, yeah. I think Hicks would be, an interesting name. I could see, um, you know, if Kyle Fuller has anything left, I think you can make a, a case for that. Another corner, another former Bears uh, defender as well. So, and then you could go, you know, if you wanted to throw it back, you could sign Trey Waynes. You could try and sign Riley Reef. You could sign Kyle Rudolph. I believe are they're all still out there. I believe Kyle Fuller just signed recently with the Ravens. Um, oh yeah, that could be. I was surprised, though, to see him. Yeah, this week, probably, him. right? Yeah, he signed two days ago with the Baltimore Ravens. Yes. Um, scratch that one, though. <laughs> scratch that one. Trey Waynes, how about that? Um, no, I just scratched that one. <laughs> Forget I said that. If, if you're listening, Vikings, just don't. It's not. It's uh, That ship has probably sailed. It probably has. It probably has. Uh, if there's a position, though, you think they could use the help. Is it is it corner? We had another question about somebody asking in this dovetails well with this question. Do they have enough corners? Reggie wants to know. Or as Mike no, says, do never. they need do they need one more? Uh, they do need one more. Here's here's another name, and I I don't think this is the solution. But if given the connections, um, Kirk Cousins killer Kevin King is a free agent. <laughs> uh, speaking of a guy that's hurt a lot and a guy that. I don't know if you feel great about it, but the Packers have continued to bring him back over the years. He, he is you know, six, three, he's got the size. Uh, you need him to stay healthy and he's never been fleet of foot as Scotty Miller can certainly tell you, but Mike Petten guy, um, Mike Smith, the linebackers coach certainly knows him from green Bay. Uh, 
I guess I could see them kicking the tires on that if they needed another corner and who doesn't need another corner, but, um, <laughs> you know, I, th- I think you'd have some reservations with that, but anybody who's going to sign up that position at this point is not going to be perfect. Yeah. Here's their current depth chart at corner as, as I see it, at least so, I mean, it's pretty straightforward. Patrick Peterson, Cameron Dantzler, Chandon Sullivan, the slot corner from green Bay, they signed. And then the two rookies, Andrew Booth and a Caleb Evans, and then their number six, it would seem right now, or if not their number five over Evans, is Chris Boyd, who's pretty stout on special teams, but as we've seen on defense, uh, yeah. So that's currently their six. If they were to carry six on the 53, I would think it's got to be those six. And could you, yeah, bring in a Kevin King and replace Chris Boyd or make you know Caleb Evans uh, toil on the practice squad for a year. If he doesn't show it, the fact you've got a second round pick who they were probably considering in the first round and Andrew Booth yeah, and, and you've got a Caleb Evans, a fourth rounder. I would presume those guys are making the 53. So it, what it comes down to Chris Boyd, is he, re, is he replaceable enough with somebody in the open market on free agency or do they love him so much on special teams that they wouldn't even really consider it yeah. and, are, and are happy with what they've got on the field. Um, I, I don't know if I see a Bashad Breland type signing um, this, this off season, but yeah, the last one didn't work out so well. <laughs> it did not. Um, all right. Let's get to this question from, I got to find it. It was a special teams one. Nick wants to know breakout star on special teams this year, similar to Ken a Wongwu last year. Uh, saying it could be a rookie or a free agent. Well, we know Kenny has got the kick returner job locked down. So no one's going to take that from him. No one's going to break out at that spot. So the most logical spot would be punt returner. And right now, the only guy they have on the roster's experience in the NFL of doing that is KJ Osborne. I feel like, and at least from what we heard from Matt Daniels this week, that he's kind of replaceable right now at that job. Uh, we haven't didn't see too much from him in his first couple years uh, rotating in and out of that spot. Um, one name I would be really interested to see is if Amir Smith-Marset can handle that job. And we've seen so many guys who are fast, talented, and you would think, boy, it'd be great if, if you could plug his speed into that punt return job. And for whatever reason, being able to feel the ball, being able to see it, being able to set up your blockers, it, it's just not a job that many people have been able to come in and be the next Marcus Sherrill's. It just hasn't happened. So I would be interested to see either Amir Smith-Marset or the rookie receiver Jalen Naylor okay. be able to come in here and do that. Because, um, Ben, I feel like we're in through a whole nother summer of punt returner rotations and competition. Yeah, I mean, Ty Chandler, another guy in the draft, probably more of a, a kick return uh, experience in college, I think, but you know, th- that would be another guy that I could see getting into that mix as a guy that they'd at least take a look at there. But yeah, I mean, Naylor was going to be the name that I mentioned as a, as a possible contributor just because of the speed. Um, you know, that that's been the big part of his game over the years. And, and uh, I, I think it's probably a lot of the reason why he's here. So, I mean, maybe that shows up on offense too, but I think special teams is, especially when it's straight line speed, um, which as a track guy, he has, um, I think that's an obvious place for him to, to contribute. I, I could certainly could see him getting into the mix there fairly early. Robert ocean, Bob ocean 
has a multiple choice question for you. Wants to know which one of the following Bob Ocean. That sounds like a character from a George Clooney movie. <laughs> Wants to know which of the following Vikings he might be related to Danny. We're not sure. Danny Ocean. Um I think Danny Ocean is a fictional character. But... Isn't that yeah, the Clooney movie, right? Isn't yeah, that... yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know if he's actually related because yeah, I don't think Danny Ocean's a real person. Ah, that's true. That's Unless that was one of those that was loosely based on a true story when Sinatra did it or something. But I, to my knowledge, it's not. Anyway. I'm sure, I'm sure there's a Danny Ocean out there just in it society. probably is, but I don't know if <laughs> like, there was a casino robber named Danny Ocean played by two leading men of different generations. Uh, which of the following anyway, Vikings... Bobby Ocean, what do you got? Which of the following Vikings weaknesses from last season, if improved, would make the biggest difference? And I want you to answer this right away, Ben. A, clock or game management. Yes. B, fresh ideas on offense in second and long situations. Or C, giving up touchdowns on nearly a third of all opponent drives in the last four minutes of each half. Boy. Seems like it's kind of loaded <laughs> the way he phrased that. I think Bobby Ocean wants us to answer number or letter C. <laughs> letter C. I think that, yeah, if you, if you don't give up, basically a third of your entire points given up in the entire year in the final two to four minutes of each half. I feel like that's a big step forward. I couldn't, I couldn't believe it when you went through at the end of last year and just crunched the numbers of how many points did they exactly give up? Yeah. And it was, it was over a hundred and it was like 30% of their total points given up in the inside the two minute warnings or overtime of each half and OT it just insane. Insane. I think clock and you can make a case for clock management and game management as well. I mean, that's kind of an all encompassing thing. Some of the, the second and long stuff, I think you could fold into that, but yeah. Um, not, not giving up quite that many points <laughs> in those settings. Um, yeah, you're in the playoffs if you don't do that, but, um, yeah, man, it's and not to, not to relitigate the past that much, but you look at some of that stuff and it's like, this decision was a lot more obvious than we probably thought it was in December when they're still kind of hanging on. I mean, I admit you kind of knew it, but are they, are they going to convince themselves to run it back for the fourth time? You know, you, you kind of wonder that at the time, but looking at some of the numbers, man, it's like, it was time. So uh, yeah, I, I, I think C is probably the right choice. I could hear a strong argument for A. Yeah, a more clutch defense would be great. Just showing oh, no. up, showing up in those moments. A, you're right. A's is a good one. And B, I think B's gonna make a difference, but I don't think it's gonna make the biggest difference compared to yeah. those other things. Uh not running C it on C was the thing that got Mike Zimmer the job when Leslie Frazier had the same problem. C is the thing that got Mike Zimmer fired. That's a good way to put it. And not running it on second and ten. That would help. That would help. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's generally um, you know, preferred to running it on second and 10 and getting stuffed. All right. Bikes fan wants to know bikes fan. 1930 wants to know, do you think Kellen Mond wins the backup job? They seem high on him. And then he adds also Kirk didn't seem excited about the offense yesterday, which I don't, I think it's just a, a misread um, by whoever was watching that um, Kirk seemed plenty excited and engaged about the offense. The first one of the first words he used actually in his opener uh, this week was the word fun, which stood out to me hmm. um, because we didn't hear him say that very much over the last couple of years with Mike Zimmer, certainly in the COVID stricken years uh, where he was under the weight of the unvaccinated protocols. Uh, we didn't hear him say a whole lot of that. 
uh, in the past couple of years for many different reasons. Um, but let me read quick before you answer that, what Wes Phillips said about Kellen Mond. Um, he says, Kellen is very sharp. He has picked up the offense very well. Um, he's been working with assistant quarterbacks, coach Gerard Johnson after practices, extra drill work, really working on his fundamentals. Uh, he says he's calling the plays really well in the huddle. His eyes are in the right place. Obviously these are limited full speed reps in this type of atmosphere. So training camp will give us a better picture of all of these guys. Uh, but Wes Phillips says so far, so good with Kellen Mond. The fact that they brought Mannion back and, and brought him back at the contract that they brought him out would suggest that maybe they are open to a change, but they at least have that insurance package that is known as the Sean Mannion. Yeah. I mean, it's a little hard to know when, when you haven't had the years with this coaching staff that you have the last one to know how much you can take comments in May to the bank. I mean, and they may just be operating under the principle of the last time somebody talked about this guy publicly, they friggin' strafed him. Um, you know, the, the comment after the loss in green Bay, I think, Chip Scoggins asked Mike Zimmer, do you want to see Mon next week? Not particularly. And then uh, why not? Well, because I see him every day or something to that effect. Um, so it's a little hard to know what to read into the comments at this point. I, I think we'll have a better sense of that during training camp when um, I, I just think everything changes in terms of timing when corners can press receivers. So um, so far, so good. I, you know, I think the preseason is going to be important for him because I'm sure they'd love it if he would take a step and gives them a better option behind Cousins and maybe even gives them hope beyond Cousins. I, I think that would help them a lot financially and just, you know, in the, in the short term to have an, another option at that position as well. But um, it's a little hard, I guess, at this point to – read into the comments and have a definitive answer to that question. I, I think the longer I do this and you're probably in the same boat, it's, I, it's just, I spend less time reading into these things because it's just so hard to know, especially with a new staff, how much legitimacy there is to what's being said. Yeah. What you're right. Training camp, whether or not he's actually getting reps with the twos or mixing in with the ones to get that experience. That'll, that'll tell. And then certainly how he does in those preseason games um, could go a long way too. Don't listen to what they say. Watch what they do. Yeah, in terms of where where he's getting his reps and where he's lining up. Um, all right, let's end with this one. Jay Tone wants to know, what can I expect going to my very first Vikings home game? And then he also adds my very first time in the St. Paul, Minneapolis area. But if we stick to the, what can he expect going to his very first Vikings home game? Ben, you wow. and I were, yeah, we were at, um, we were at a, uh, community event with the Vikings yesterday. And we heard Harrison Phillips talk about being a rookie and going to us bank stadium for the first time and just kind of, you know, really taking that all in. And he said, even then I felt like, you know, cause he said, I was a rookie. Then I was really into that stuff, the pregame stuff before it just became routine. Um, and he said, the Vikings really do it the right way. And I think you and I both feel the same way in terms of yeah. um, that atmosphere at us bank. Cause we travel all over the country in these games is pretty unique compared yeah. to what you see at other stadiums. Yeah, it's, I mean, and I, when he said that yesterday, I thought, okay, the game you're talking about, you didn't see a lot of the atmosphere afterwards, unless you would, you, you would say that atmosphere can be encompassed by booing. Yeah. That of course was the <laughs> game against the bills in 2018, where they were like 14 point favorites and got blown out. So um, 
Yeah, that that probably wasn't the best indicator of noise from the U.S. Bank Stadium crowd in a positive manner. But he was talking more about the pregame production. And yeah, it, it is one of the better pregame productions in the NFL. I, I think I'm trying to think of other places that are even quite on the same level. And, and we get a little bit of a different sense because it is an open press box. A lot of the places we go when it's an outdoor stadium, it's closed. So even if it's loud, even if it's you know a big production, we don't get a full sense of it because we're behind closed glass in outdoor press boxes. So um It's not quite that uh, type of thing. But, you know, in terms of the pregame videos, turning the lights out, I mean, it's got more of an NBA type feel in terms of how they do the intros or even NHL. Um, They they do it big. Uh, The whole thing is big. The production is big. It's loud. Um, It's fun. I'm kind of a sucker for the big overwrought. Let's treat this thing like it's a you know, the final battle of a Marvel comics movie, you know, which is kind of how all of these things come off now. I enjoy it. Um, it's loud. Um, the whole, the whole place will be loud. The energy is usually pretty good in there, especially if the team is, uh, is good. They, they do a lot of things artificial and otherwise to crank the energy up. The only other artificial and otherwise, the only other stadium I can think of where I thought, wow, this is just as loud, if not louder was the Superdome. Yeah, obviously have been there to cover a playoff game and been there for regular season games. And that's the place that compares. And it's just, it's built, the Superdome is built differently where like, it's almost just straight vertical and everybody's on top of each other. This is just cavernous. I mean, it's an old stadium, but it's just so big. Yeah. The the saints home is is similar in that, but they don't have quite the production, at least in the years that I've been there quite like the Vikings. I I think the Ravens who had Chan at the beginning of the game is freaking cool i mean like when especially when it's drew Brees out there and they start that 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 place gets loud yeah so that's fun i mean seattle gets loud too we just don't feel it quite in the same way because we're behind glass there yeah and um kansas city i guess gets pretty pretty loud as well but again we're behind glass i mean so our our perspective from kansas city um seattle green bay I don't think Green Bay is quite as loud as the other two. Um, don't at me, Packers fans, but because um, they have the same issue with their own yeah. fans, where it's older season ticket holders that don't get as loud. So, like, you know, I'm right. Don't get mad at me. Um, but yeah, we in in any sense, we don't get quite the same sense in those places when we're behind glass. It's weird too. These newer stadiums, whether it's, I guess, I'm thinking mainly of the, the SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles. It, that one seemed almost too big. Or, or Jerry, yeah. Jerry World in Dallas, like that one, those are ones where like it doesn't feel somehow U.S. Bank Stadium is obviously huge, but it because of how it's designed and I guess how we are kind of almost, as you said, open air, almost on top of it all. Yeah, it feels like it's a little bit more tighter together in a smaller venue than some of these newer ones where they are just gigantic palaces that are spread out. Um, with these ribbon boards and all that kind of stuff for the video boards. Um, yeah, the footprint for U.S. Bank is quite a bit smaller than Jerry World or SoFi. I mean, SoFi was, I thought SoFi was really cool. I Some people thought it was overwrought. Like, of course it's overwrought. It was $5 billion, <laughs> but it's L.A. Like, yeah. you expect it to be overdone. Um, I really like SoFi, but uh, I know I'm not in, you know, there are other opinions on that. I think among our beat and probably among people in the NFL. Yeah, I, I thought it was a little bit too much. But, you yeah, know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm probably a little more of a sucker for some of this stuff than you are. Um, 
but yeah, it, it, it's, of course it's too much, but yeah. I, you know, they had like the, the watermelon in the, in the water, in the, in the press box, you know, the movie theater candy was nice touches. I liked it. I like the outdoor part of it was, it was November. It's like, I'm in California and it's cold back home. So yeah, I will, I will happily uh, drink a tropically flavored water and I enjoy my time outside. <laughs> Those are the privileges of, of working at least game days. Um, the worst new stadium by far, and I actually don't know if it's new at this point, Levi's in Santa Clara. It's just, yeah. it's, it's awful. It's awful. Yeah. Again, Everything not, about it. Yeah. The Niners new stadium uh, that was built, I guess, 2015. Uh, yep. So it's not, not new, new, but newer. Yeah, it's just it's not good. No, not great. Not great. The fans are getting cooked because they didn't predict that the sun would shine on, yeah. <laughs> on these stands. So you get one side and that's where the, they put the road team. So whenever the Vikings go to Santa Clara, they get to be on the side that just gets baked in the sun yeah. for the entire afternoon. And you got to put up the little like umbrella stands and all that stuff. Um, but the I fans like, well, go ahead. I was just gonna say, you hear from the fans too. That's just, if you're on the wrong side of the stadium, it's an even worse experience. Yeah, I'm trying to think of other places that suck. I mean, FedEx is the worst. <laughs> now you got us going. FedEx is the absolute worst. Soldier Field. Uh, and Soldier Field. I, I like Soldier Field. I was walking. I was doing radio uh, before the game last year. And I was walking down at, at like on the concourse level. That actually was really cool. I mean, Soldier Field, the press box is FedEx and Soldier Field are the worst. It's the worst. But uh, there's nothing as bad as FedEx in, in every sense. FedEx is just a terrible, terrible place. They should replace that, move it back in the district, especially now they changed the name, put it back in the RFK site. But that's me having lived there for a few years that didn't like it then either. But um, Soldier Field at the, it feels like a monstrosity because of the terrible renovations they did. But the bowl, your your sight lines are really good if you're if you're sitting down low. So that part is still cool. Um, yeah, FedEx is awful. Um, trying to think of other places that i didn't like the new atlanta one didn't do a ton for me um the, yeah, me, the me thing me with the, the opening in the middle was too cute haven't been to miami since they redid it we'll see it this year um buffalo is kind of fun because it's old and it's out in the middle of nowhere and you know it's got lambo kind of feel to it i i liked heinz field a lot i thought that was really cool um, if, if you don't get pelted in the head with a beer can, the, the Philadelphia, the link. Is yeah, quite, I like the link. Quite the atmosphere. Yeah, I like the link a lot. I, and I, I did a kick out of the Philly fans. Now I'm sitting behind glass. Yeah. I'm observing <laughs> all of it. I'm not in the stands. So you can uh, you can maybe at me on that one. Um, when they opened, I'll never forget. Arrowhead's cool. I'll never forget, though, at the link, when they opened the NFC Championship game in 2017, we get there uh, like four hours early. And I, I think you arrived in a different caravan than I did. But I remember it was me, Mark, and a few other Star Tribune writers were pulling through and an Uber we had a is small like small army there. We did. And, and an Uber is like trying to pull through a tailgate parking lot and trying yeah. to find where the drop-off point is yeah, for the Uber. Terrible to get in. And I come to find out later the next day that for some reason the city, the mayor, whatever had agreed to open the tailgate lots at 7 a.m. for a <laughs> night game. It was like a six o'clock kickoff or something. For a night game. So these people had been there for like half a day. And it, it was like 
The only thing I could compare it to was Mad Max. It was Mad Max <laughs> on asphalt. I mean, there were cars driving left and right over ramps, over little yard games, just destroying things. People standing on top of their vehicles, chanting. I mean, it was insane. People climbing on top of the car that we were in. Really? It was, yes, it was insane. I, I did not have this experience getting in there that day. And, and oh yeah, because the driver made the mistake of we pulled up and we were going down one of the alleyways of cars. <laughs> And the driver made the mistake of honking at a group of people who were taking a group photo. And oh, that no. obviously <laughs> did not go over well with the group of people. So we had a guy just yeah, pop up on top of the hood of the car and like, you know, flicking you off and all that stuff and just getting after it. And then afterward, you hear Case Keenum's family is getting like almost assaulted yeah. at the stadium. And you're like, yeah, well, I, 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 I could see how that could happen. Yeah. After you let the tailgate lots open at 7 a.m. I couldn't. Yeah. Think. I mean. The, the the thing with like the then somebody like punch a horse yeah yeah one of the only people that got arrested was for assaulting like, a police horse pull the mongo <laughs> yeah. oh yeah because i the stayed in, hasn't aged well i stayed in philly to cover because obviously the super bowl was in minneapolis so we wanted to cover the team that was coming there, and there was so a was blizzard busy. so it made it impossible to get back and so I ended up getting stuck behind and stayed there to cover the Eagles. And I, so some of the coverage afterward was like only four people were arrested. It wasn't that bad. Yeah. And I'm like, no, that's negligence on the police officers <laughs> to only arrest four of you. People. Turn, the, turn a blind eye to a lot of things. <laughs> oh only four arrests. And like two of them were for scalping. <laughs> I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Yeah. That's, that, that's like game seven of the Stanley cup finals in terms of how much they swallowed their whistles on that one. Oh, my I, God. it's yeah. funny because I, I'm like a good luck charm for Philly sports because the one, the first, the only two world series I covered, the Phillies won the first one. And then they were in the second one in 08 and 09. Um, I covered a regional, I think the Villanova one at the Metrodome, obviously the Super Bowl we covered the Eagles won it. Um, that, that might be it, but I've, I've been there for a lot of the great Philly sports moments in the last, in this century, which is kind of strange. I haven't been there for like a Villanova championship, I guess, but uh, Phillies and Eagles most recent championships I was in the building so um, yeah their fans are, are a unique sort and I always enjoyed covering baseball games up there I spent a lot of time up there um, when I was in DC covering the Nationals obviously the Phillies were really good and I think I covered a Capitals playoff series my one story from that is because all those stadiums are in the same place it's like one big complex with shared parking between um Lincoln Financial, Citizens Bank, Park, and the Wells Fargo Center, all named for various financial institutions. But um, I got done covering a Caps playoff game there, and I, I come out into the parking lot, and I had I, I think I left the light on, so I, my car needed a jump. And the Flyers fans came over, and they saw the Virginia plate on my car, and they said, hey, are you a Caps fan? And I said, no, I'm just a media member. And they said, oh, uh, you, you, you need help getting out of here. And I said, yeah, I just need a jump. So they helped me get a jump. And they, they said, well, it's a good thing you weren't, you didn't say you're a Cavs fan because we wouldn't have given you a jump. We would just beat you up. <laughs> so that one worked out better than it could have. But uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of how it works in Philly. Hey, are you a fan of this team? No. Okay. We'll help you. We won't uh, leave you bleeding and lying in the street. Yeah, just just say no, no matter what. Yeah, Even if yeah. you're wearing the jersey, just say don't no. don't wear the jersey. Don't <laughs> like when you guys go in September, you should know from 2017. Don't wear purple. That's just right. That be strategic with it. That is the Vikings' first road game this year. Is back to the link. Oh boy. Hey night. 
All right. Well, that's a good place to end it. Uh, please check out all of our work at startribune.com. And we'll be back next week after the Vikings wrap up their third week of OTAs.